Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This week's episode is brought to you by the critically acclaimed drama Queen Sugar from Oscar-nominated filmmaker Ava DuVernay, executive producer Oprah Winfrey, and Warner Horizon scripted television. The Guardian says Queen Sugar is a sweet success. Essence raves that it is gorgeous in its honesty, and TV Guide magazine calls it powerful. Tune in to Queen Sugar Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on OWN for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Hi, welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking about Westworld with creators Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy and star Evan Rachel Wood. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and it's my pleasure to welcome Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy, the executive producers of Westworld. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi. Great to be here. Thanks so much for doing this with me. So, first of all, congratulations on Westworld. Thank you. Thank you. What surprised you the most about people's reaction to the show? I mean, you, you, when you're working on a show like this, where there are layers and there are details, and you're trying to make every piece count, um, you're hoping that people will engage with it on that level. But I don't think we had any, in, our, in kind of our wildest dreams, we didn't expect the level of fan engagement and dialogue which is this is this is why you do it I mean I was always hoping that we would you know find people who cared about the show and the characters like we did so it was wonderful it's wonderful always for me especially to hear women who are you know really responding to the characters but one of the surprising ones that I got once and I don't have much of a social media presence and I'm kind of too shy to tweet back but somebody once tweeted me this story about how they're schizophrenic and how Dolores is problems with you know the inner voice and finding herself in time actually really resonated with her and kind of really helped her like frame her own um, struggles with schizophrenia and it was an incredibly sweet and really fascinating um, uh, email that's amazing was there a moment when you realized wow the show is really connecting with fans when you realized like wait this show is a success it's taking off well there was that moment when they figured out the plot twist for episode 10 (laughs) 42 minutes into episode 2 but that's exactly what you're hoping will happen I mean you're you're layering these things in there and you're agonizing in the edit suite over do we leave this line in and do we cut this scene to that scene and um, and the amount of uh, not just our work but the work that went into the show from our incredible cast and from our incredible crew who were putting every bit as much work um, into all of these nuances and so for the audience to be picking up on on it to that degree was incredibly exciting we have smart fans <laughs> yeah yeah we do did you anticipate that they were going to figure things out I th- yeah i mean i think 
We did. We, we, what we anticipated and what we kind of planned for was that it wasn't like there were surprises that we were trying to keep from the audience consciously. We were trying to lead a path of breadcrumbs, and we anticipated that a small group of the audience might discover it and, and that that would be part of the game that we were playing with these kind of diehard fans. What we didn't anticipate was that they would go to social media and talk about it and they would get circulated so that it, it kind of hit a wider base of uh, people who have an online presence and kind of picked that up. But, you know, there were also people who I think were still in it for the surprise. Like my parents, I managed to uh, surprise them. Well, the cast, we managed to surprise the cast. <laughs> no, I think I, we talked about this a little bit the other night at the panel. You know, I, I, I spent the first <clears throat> 10 or 15 years of my career working on the, this sort of storytelling in film. And in film, you have the great advantage of being able to literally lock the audience into a dark room and, 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 and hold their attention, hopefully, for, for two hours. And <clears throat> if you could, you know, what, one of the things we wanted to do with the season that we hadn't really done, but we, we hadn't really seen done, sorry, we hadn't, one of the things that we wanted to do with the season that we hadn't seen before uh, when we were writing the pilot was carry a season-long twist in the way that you would layer a twist through, uh, through a feature film. Uh, of course, then Mr. Robot came along after we shot the pilot. <laughs> we sort of went, okay, well, two things. One, it really works, and it's really, really exciting to see that in a long-form storytelling, uh, in, a, in an episodic format. Um, and two, <laughs> the, the dialogue around it, we have to be very careful with. And I think, you know, our hope with the second season, you know, it was one of those crazy things where, you know, people... People have there are fan theories about every show and some outlandish fan theories, and with our show, every outlandish fan theory was actually <laughs> a, a twist in the, in the season that we were telling. So, um, you know, it, on the one hand, incredibly gratifying to see people that engage with what you're doing uh, and picking up the little things you're laying down. And I think w one of the key things that you can't do if you want to, um, and here it was motivated entirely by the predicament of the host they don't understand their world and we very much wanted to I mean, talk to someone the other night who was saying that you know the pilot of our first season really in many ways could have been the second episode and in fact we had that conversation you know you you know the the film the feature film Michael Crichton's original film begins with the guests and that's what takes you into the world we very much wanted to start with the hosts and we wanted to strand the audience in their perspective so the twists and turns of the season aren't there for the sake of it. They're there because the hosts don't understand uh, the true nature of their world. And we really wanted to explore the ideas <clears throat> in artificial intelligence, the distinctions between what, how an AI would perceive the world and how people perceive the world. And this question of memory and personal narrative. How do you understand who you are? And how do you assemble that story <clears throat> was something we were kind of fascinated with. But we wanted to make sure that by the time, as Lisa said, by the time the audience understood the true nature of the story that we were telling, that it felt completely natural. It didn't feel like the rug was being pulled out. So you have to layer those things in. Uh, and you have to take the risk that, um, that the fans will figure it out and communicate it amongst themselves. Given that fans figured out so much, is that going to affect your storytelling going into season two? 
No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I actually hope that in some ways it helps fans figure out how they personally want to interact with it, you know? So, so, you know, my point has always been Game of Thrones is this incredible show. I'm a huge fan of it. I actually haven't read the books, um, and I'm, I'm watching the, the show for the first time to understand what happens. Um, and so that's a conscious choice now that I've been in the show. I'll read the books later, you know? But the spoilers exist because there is a pre-existing, you know, beautifully written um, book version of it. And so this is no different than that, than adapting any kind of thing. Um, there, the, the, the reality and the spoilers are out there if you seek them. And so for us, even though we're creating it as we go along... We are. We feel like it, we we owe it to the fans to be uh, to be bold and also to play this game with them, where they're like, do you, where we're like, do you want to figure it out? Do you want to play with us here? And hopefully now, because of first season, the people who don't want who want to be this purest interpretation of the series, they'll just know. Develop your own theories in a vacuum, and maybe don't don't log on to Reddit. <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of the things you have to be very careful. One of the things that's incredibly exciting about television is that weekly conversation um, and that incredible engagement from fans. Um, and, it, and it's different than, than, than films. I love films. And, you know, obviously there are uh, incredibly enthusiastic communities around films. But it's different. You can go a lot deeper with a series in terms of the fans' engagement with the characters but also engagement with the story. Um, and that's incredibly exciting and the feedback is incredibly exciting. I've been on Reddit for eight or nine years. I was sort of part of that community from the very, very beginning because I don't do social media. And, and I, I always thought Reddit was an interesting kind of form uh, of artificial intelligence in the, same, in the sense that it's a communal intelligence where the mechanism for voting up good ideas and voting down bad was always fascinated by that community. So it's very exciting to see that community in particular mm-hmm. get really excited about our show. But... You have to be very, very careful. Uh, The difference with a film, unless it's a franchise set of films, with a film you go off by yourself and you have this idea and you work on it and then you go make the movie and then you put it out into the world. And if there's some aspect of the storytelling, you know, that, that you, you know, the fan reaction guides you towards, it doesn't matter. You've made the film. It's done. And it's, in a sense, it's, it's, it's kind of pure. It's whatever your intent was. With television, the big concern is, when you're doing broadcast, it can be episode to episode. When you're doing this kind of show, it's season to season that you'll be swayed by the public reaction, the public response to the show. And I think you have to be, and Lisa and I constantly go back to the notes we wrote down and, you know, when we were gearing up to write the pilot uh, a couple of years ago now and, and the thoughts that we had and the original intent, the thing that got us excited about this project in the first place. You have to adapt and change. Your actors sometimes give you things. That's incredibly exciting to be able to pursue things. And, you know, the writers come to bear with their own ideas. So you have to be open to to take your story to the places you find along the way. But I also think you have to be incredibly careful not to get... Not to get... um, Reactionary. Yeah. Yeah. What about the actors? You mentioned they had questions. How much do you tell them about what's coming... Do you want it to influence their performance so that they know what the end game is, or do you want them to be on a journey of discovery? Yeah, how much do we tell them, Lisa? <laughs> well, I think it, it, it depended on a case-to-case basis, honestly. There were times when it didn't, it didn't seem organic or necessary for their portrayal of the character to know where it was going, right? So for Jimmy Simpson's character, William, he wouldn't know who he would become, 
However, Ed Harris would know who he had been. <laughs> so we kind of we tried to work with the logic of that because it would inform their performances, you know. And so in terms of, say, uh, Jeffrey Wright and his wonderful uh, nuanced portrayal of Arnold and Bernard, um, because we were kind of shuffling through times and through, through those different personas within one episode, he had to really dial in his performance with all these different subtleties. And so we had to be very upfront with him uh, early on from a performance perspective. And it was this funny, it was this funny uh, relationship we had with the actors where they'd be like, I want to know, I want to know, tell me. No, 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 don't tell me, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I just want to be in this moment. And don't tell me, but tell me, but don't tell me. And so it was, I think it was a lot of fun, fun for us. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it is fun. And obviously with incredibly talented actors, you know, they can take on board where the story is going and modulate their performance. But I remember, I remember reading a, uh, an interview with, with Vince Gilligan and the actors on Breaking Bad talking about how excited they were to get every script and how excited they were to discover where the characters were going. And, and, it, and it mapped in an interesting way onto this kind of naturalism of, you know, we wander around in the world and we don't know what's, what's next. In particular for the hosts in our story, it really felt like we have brilliant actors. We could tell them everything, and I'm sure they'd bring, you know, every they'd bring all the same level of nuance to it. But there is a fun sense of being on that journey and not quite knowing where we're going. And it does allow you sometimes to access a level of performance that's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's maybe, maybe a little bit deeper. What was their reaction when they read the script for the finale? <laughs> <laughs> they, we have the most incredible cast. Let me just start by saying that. It, it has felt throughout every step of this journey like... Like we're doing this huge family. They're so invested. They so give their all, and they're and they're so legitimately and truly supportive and excited. Like I remember, I think, I think maybe Ingrid sent me something that was just like mind blown and all these emoticons of things exploding. <laughs> <laughs> and that seems to be the way it is. And and it, I feel the same way about their performances. You know, so there's there's often this kind of love fest that occurs when when we're you know when when we see them pull out an amazing performance and enliven the words on the page in this way, we kind of fan out on them, um, both uh, privately and publicly, because they're just awesome. And, and it's wonderful to have actors that we adore and respect so much kind of respond that way to the writing. It, it feels like, yes, like your, your level of performance deserves great writing, and, and we're glad that you feel that you, know, you, you have something to respond to here. Yeah, I mean, we've started to, to catch up and spend a little more time with the cast now as we get gear up for season two. Um, and it, it, it gives you every... You, you just remind it all the time. The first season was ambitious with so much we wanted to do. Um, and not only did we wind up with a cast that's unbelievably talented, almost uniquely suited to each of the roles that, were, that they're portraying, but also incredibly supportive in just a, just an incredible family that came together to to make this show uh, and we're we're unbelievably excited to get back to work with them there was a lot of conversation at the start of the series about the role of women in the series as the show evolved i think we got to see these women char- female characters really kind of emerge can you talk about how important that was for you yeah, for me, from the very beginning, and, and for Jonah and I, both of us, you know, it was how, what is the way into this story 
that engages us heart and mind and soul. You know, and, and we said, well, we don't just want to do a Western that kind of meditates on the things that we've seen before or a sci-fi, thing, a sci-fi take that is about robots killing humans, nor do we want to do a Western where it's just about the kind of male, you know, the lone ra- ranger against nature. We said, let's just put this, you know, let's just turn this upside down and subvert everything and let's find the character that we are most fascinated by. And the characters that really popped out as, at us at, for us were Dolores and, and Maeve. And, you know, you watch, we watched so many Westerns in preparation for the season. And yeah, I'd sort of grown up watching them, yeah. but you were a little less familiar with yeah, the genre, in yeah. part because the genre is so male-oriented. It's so very masculine. And, and although I really appreciated the craft, it didn't just grab me in the way that something where it just resonates deeply with your own personal experience. And so we'd watch these films and I'd be like, well, but what about that girl in the bar? What's her story? You know, and what about that fair damsel waiting for the hero to come home? What's her internal life like? And so we started from there. Well, then we also, we found our way to Once Upon a Time in the in West. West. Yes. The incredible performance from Claudia Cardinale mm-hmm. where it almost feels like Sergio Leone having spent four incredible films Mm -hmm. concentrating on the guys suddenly feels the same thing that we were feeling making our way through the westerns from John Ford onwards and said wait a second what about what about the ladies yeah and he plays with all those old dichotomies that really shouldn't hold sway anymore and he did it he did it early on with the kind of virgin horror paradox and, and he really twisted them around with her character and we thought well Let's just take that and just blow, blow all those boundaries away, you know, all those characterizations and categorizations that are so both demeaning and constrictive for women and, and start with something pure. You know, there was a lot of, you know, the setup in, in the pilot, and it was something we always knew exactly where we were going. Uh, and in the pilot, you do see these, these female hosts, you know, really really subjected to violence and to terror along with the male host I, mean, I, I think we knew we were taking a, a, a bit of a risk with the story that we were telling in the beginning that people might misunderstand where the story was taking us right um, and, and our our thing from the beginning was this will not be exploitative nor will it be gratuitous what this is is it is an exploration of what these characters would realistically have to go through in this park you know and and for me it was informed you know I think that different pe- different people have different amounts in which they um, ratchet up the kind of autobiographical or personal experiences in their writing right and I tend to write genre and it's many many steps removed from my own personal experience in many ways right um, but on the other hand personal experiences definitely do filter into what you're interested in you know before my time um, as a writer, I was a lawyer, and I did some defense work and some prosecutorial work, and both were cases um, involving violence against women. You know, and for me, violence against women is a part of life. The 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 fear of that kind of violence is just a reality that we face in America and other countries, right? And so, to be able to have a space to creatively explore, you know, the things and themes that interested me. That's one of them, you know, and, and not just the fact that it occurs, but also what that journey is like 
to recover from it and to transcend and surmount that for a woman. And that very much, I think, influenced part of the things that we wanted to explore here. Yeah, you, you add to that the creative freedom that you uniquely have on HBO, <clears throat> which is always asking, you know, making making the audience <clears> on <throat> some level question, you know, is are, am I what is it is it titillation? Is it something different with this show in particular? With you know, with the ability on HBO to explore all of the the, the all of the really to have no limits in what we could do in trying to tell this story, um, we wanted to use the nudity and the violence in ways that really, in some places, made the audience f- feel uncomfortable, you know, N- not as titillation, but, you know, a- as a way to remind you that these people were l- literally objectified. They're not people, they're objects, and they're treated as such. Um, and we just, you know, it, it, it's, it's murky territory to tell story in but we thought there was such an interesting story to tell here I mean a lot of what the narrative is about is also about uh, gaming right Um, and the behavior that's acceptable in a game as our games and as our simulations become more and more real you know in, in preparing for this we watched a lot of westerns we also played a lot of video games which is great for Jonah, I'm a terrible. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how do you feel about those video I, games? <laughs> when I work the controller, I can barely keep the car or the horse on the road. We just veer off. It's like it's like bowling when you're a kid and you need the bumpers. That's yes. me in video games. And it's it, it's not a diatribe about violence in video games at all. I think you know I I, I love games. Uh, up until we started doing TV, we and had uh, until we had kids, we played video games fairly regularly. <laughs> when, we had, when we had a private and life, <laughs> I think some of the most interesting and rich storytelling these days is being done in the video game space. Uh, when you talk about games like Bioshock, um, you know, or or a lot of the Valve games, you know, have a level of of narrative design and complexity that frankly you're not really seeing in filmmaking anymore um you know we're we're big fans of the form that said within video games we played a lot of you know grand theft auto as quote-unquote research but it's kind of fascinating there's a casual Uh level of (laughs) sort of dehumanizing violence in that that i think is perfectly acceptable with that game but part of the reason it's acceptable and we talk about this a little bit in text in in the first season part of the reason it's acceptable is because the quality of the simulation is relatively... I mean, the graphics are amazing, but it's very clear you're playing a game. You don't mistake it for reality. And one of the questions that we wanted to ask is, as our games become indistinguishable from reality, does that change the moral content or the moral question of how you act within these simulations? And does it become... Does it potentially become... I don't believe it is right now in this moment, but the question is, will it become potentially very morally and psychologically slippery to be inside a simulation that looks and feels completely real because that's, that's absolutely where we're, where we're going. As we were developing the first season, we went in for a budget conversation with HBO at one point and they showed us the Valve Vive uh, headset, the, you know, the new generation of VR headsets. And all these technologies are growing up as we're, wa- as we're making the show. So I think these questions only become and only and will only become more and more relevant as we continue to tell our story. It's almost a question of how do you stay ahead of it, you're, you know, as you create this world. Yeah. yeah. The real world is is nipping at our heels here in terms of Yeah, their... we're going to pick up the pace. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> 
How do you keep track of these multiple timelines that you've created? What does your writer's room wall look like? I'm afraid to ask. Well, right, right now it's very blank. You see this 12-foot 12, 12, you know, giant whiteboard behind yeah. us. Uh, enormous, enormously challenging uh, yeah. to, keep, to keep track of. Uh, it was enormously challenging for us, for the writers, for the directors, for the editors, <laughs> for the entire cast, for the entire crew. Costumes. Um, uh, costumes. <laughs> Uh, background casting, er, everybody asking questions. And the easiest thing for us on some level was to not read too many people into it and just be able to gently nudge things because in some ways the idea of the park as a place where things never change allows you to, to, uh, you know, you only have to change one or two little things in order to to affect a great creative difference. I remember when we started this, um, when we were breaking the pilot and really thinking about the season and the series as a whole, and we started talking about uh, some of the complexities with time in the first season, we were we were putting you know note cards and papers and taping them on on the wall. Well, we started with the whiteboard, then we filled the whiteboard, then we started just taping it on the wall and on the windows. And by the time we were done, the entire office, and this was in our home, we were just working from there at the point, was plastered, like just absolutely wallpapered with paper. And it looked like somewhat like an insane asylum. I actually took a picture and sent it to a couple of friends, like somebody send food and uh, say It looks like our brains are exploding. <laughs> exactly. What was the most challenging scene to film or to, to write or to produce from the first season? I think, I don't know about for you, Lisa, I think for me in part because we'd written it and then I was directing it. Um, the scenes with Evan and Ed's characters in the finale where he is, you know, dragging her around this graveyard um, and it's physical and it's emotional. Um, I was very apprehensive going into those moments um, because there's, you know... It's that's that's tough material. Um, again, then you show up on set and you have these two incredible actors for that scene. For, you know, all of our actors are amazing. With Ed and Evan in the scene, you know, the level of control, the level of commitment, is with you know without without equal. They're they're going into it and finding all of those levels, and it's harrowing, and it's frightening. Um, and then there's this moment, and we had this, you know, I, I don't like cranes very much. I don't like camera cranes. It's always shorthand for me with the directors when they ask for a crane. It's like, well, it's, it's literally compensating for something. <laughs> Find another more interesting way to do it. Sometimes you want a crane. We needed one here because we were going to shoot a lot of overhead stuff with the church and establish, establishing the location. David Franco is the DP on that, and I talked about um, a shot in which, as Evan is sort of essentially being ground into the dirt, in reality, emotionally, psychologically, and then there's a certain point in which she picks herself up, and we did a complimentary move with the crane that that comes down as she comes up, and it's a complete reversal of the scene. You have Ed is this very frightening, very strong figure, and then Evan completely transforms. And I was, you, you know, you write these things, uh, and it, you know, relatively easy to write, incredibly difficult to perform. And when we got the dailies back, we knew we had something very, very special mm-hmm. with that moment. Yeah, I mean the the scenes are all there there's different challenges as as a writer on it. You know, there's there's these deeply kind of intellectual scenes that are that are difficult to write because you want your philosophy and the kind of sharpness of the thoughts to be there. And you know, as delivered by 
you know, Jeffrey Wright or uh, Tony Hopkins, uh, you know you can't put a false word in there. But even if you did, luckily for you, uh, it's played by these genius actors, so they'll make it sound good anyway. So that was always an intellectual challenge. And then I think there's an emotional challenge, too, when you, when you love your cast and your characters um, like we do. Uh, when you're writing those difficult emotional scenes, you are aware that they're going to have to conjure this in themselves, you know, that, that Tandy Newton is going to have to play a mom who loses her daughter, you know, and, and that she's a part of her is going to put herself into that mindset and it's going to be painful for her. I'm like, I feel like myself getting emotional even as I, as I talk about it and, and to have them access that because they believe in what they're filming and then just, and then bring it to life there is, you're asking for a gift from the actors, you know, and and so the challenge is don't don't let them down. And and I remember when we would see some of the more difficult um, scenes that we filmed, and we'd watch them in the edit suite. Even though I knew what would happen, of course, I never imagined how emotional it would be. Even though I knew everything that would happen, and I'd seen it filmed, when I saw it cut together, I, there was just not a dry eye in the editing bay, you know. And it's it's the beauty of what they brought to the screen. Yeah, and we, Tandy in particular. I mean, going back to the pilot, we shot the dream sequence in which Tandy's character Maeve wakes from her dream uh, and finds herself on a surgical table. We shot it for the pilot, um, and it was easily one of my favorite scenes. Um, uh, from the pilot, uh, everything that we got there, um, working with Paul Cameron, our DP on the pilot, beautifully shot. We wanted Terry Malick, Terry Malick feel up above and Ridley Scott down below. Um, um, but we knew the sequence that we'd written. We had great fun writing the sequence in which Maeve wakes, you know, wakes up on a surgical table and finds her own, you know, body opened up. Um, and this incredibly vulnerable moment and then tries to make a run for it. And it's easy to write. And then as you get closer to it, you realize, oh, my God, we're, you know, this is the, we're, we're asking the actor to be this vulnerable and this, you know, you know, you then find yourself when we cast Tandy Newton. We had a phenomenal conversation with her uh, and she came in. And I think, you know, w- with any other actor in that role, I don't think we would have been able to shoot that scene, those episodes, that arc. I mean, you just wound up with with this in- incredible actor who's fearless and committed, sees the thing on the page and sees what you see in it and, and the beauty and the horror of it and is completely committed to making it work. And then you realize you've got you've to try to achieve that. And yeah. I, I, I'm not sure that we could have done that with anybody else. Yeah. We could not have made this show with a different cast. No. So... Where are you now in production on season two, and how is it looking? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> the big question. Yeah, we're, we're about... ramping up. We're four weeks out. We start shooting in July. Yeah. I just got... Uh, I was emailing with Evan this morning. She's uh, riding horses and doing weapons training right now. Uh, <laughs> what kind of weapons is she using? <laughs> all, all of them. <laughs> there's, there's quite a few weapons. Um, what shape are they? <laughs> I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's definitely going to have some fun this season, I think. Yeah, it's it's an ambitious season, I think. You know, for us the for the first season and obviously we labored over it for a long time. We're very proud of it. But but really in story terms we conceived it really as 
sort of the opening chapter for our story. And we knew that we wanted in the second season, we always knew that we wanted the, the stakes and the scope to increase dramatically. Uh, and that means the scale of production increases as well. So uh, we have an amazingly talented group of writers and directors um, and, and crew uh, coming back and gearing up for what, what I think and what I hope will prove to be an, a, a season twice as ambitious as the first one. How many worlds will, will we be seeing? More than one. <laughs> I mean, I, I think our story is still, you know, it's, it's Westworld. And that's, that's the heart of our, our story for this season continues to, to be uh, the place that we've come to know in, in the first season, the characters that we've come to know. But one of the things that Lisa and I always said with this, with this show was that as the hosts are learning more about their world, their worlds, um, so is the audience. The audience is coming along that ride and every season learning a little bit more about this place, these people, um, and adding a few a few new characters to the mix. Yeah. yeah. There's going to be some fun new villains and heroes uh, from, from some different walks of life. What's the one question fans should be asking? I think the, the, the question the fans should be asking is what's what's really happening in this place. We've hinted that at that a little bit in the first season and we're going to go a little deeper with that in the second season. That's right. If there's a broader agenda, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> Will we see the world outside the park? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've likened the show to if you could distill it down to one shot, it would be a slow, steady pull-out, revealing a little bit more of the context, a little bit more of where we are, who these people are, um, and, and what their story means. Yeah. The season is definitely not small. <laughs> it's very big. There's, you're going you're to see a lot. Will Anthony Hopkins be back? They are staring at each other. I feel the need to, na- <laughs> need to narrate this moment. <laughs> we, we loved working with, with Tony on the first season. It's one of the highlights of our career. Um, yeah. Certainly my career. I, you know, a, a, an incredible collaboration with him. I think the sacrifice he makes at the end of the first season is very real. Yeah. He got killed. Ford is dead? Ford is dead. Ford is dead. Ford is dead. Will season two have the same arc in that there's a clue, you know, there's a big mystery and a big reveal at the end? Not quite the same contour. There are definitely big questions to be answered, um, but I think we want to keep the rhythm of that. We want to keep the audience a, a little bit on the back foot in terms of the rhythm of when they're learning what they're learning. Yeah, I mean, because because the way that the reveals happened in first season was really dictated mostly... Uh, in terms of the timelines and stuff by Dolores' point of view. Um, we come to her this season, and she's much more self-aware. She's not, she's not having the same problems and confusion as before. And so, you know, when we're looking at the world through her lens, she's much more in control of her understanding of the world around her and where she's been and where she's going. And so that lends itself to a different shape for the season. That sounds... Sounds great. 
Uh, just to add to the to um, the the Tony Hopkins of it all, uh, who who we loved working with. I think there will be an opportunity to explore a little bit more of the backstory of how this part came to be, uh, and a little more of, of that of that story. So we'll see we'll see um, the characters' presence will will be felt in that sense, in terms of filling in a few more of the gaps about the early history of this place. Yeah, that's right. I'm glad you guys agree. <laughs> it would be jarring if we didn't. <laughs> Are there things you've ever disagreed about? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Where to begin? Yeah. I, the, the way that I think about it, and it's, it's, it's really true, is that we always agree on what's right. Always. And we always agree on what's wrong. <laughs> uh, so... In the end, we have the same taste and we want to go in the same place, but we approach it from really different starting points. I feel like, well, sometimes very different. Sometimes surprisingly, we'll, we'll kind of flip-flop our, our, our point of view of where we start. But I think as a general rule, uh, I come to it through a lens of character first. Would you say that's true? I don't know. I don't think it's that simple. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I Even the as show, I'm saying it, it sounds reductive to... I think the show, uh, and what's great about a series, where you have a little more time to explore the characters, where you have a little more time to be conceptual with episodes and maybe see a path and explore it for a little bit. Um, it gets to be many things. And I think the best shows, and w- w- we hope... To, to make the show as, 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 as great as we can. Um, the best shows, I think, have an ambition where they can be many things. Within one tone, with one set of characters, they can explore different modes of storytelling. They can play all, you know, they can dive deeply into character. I think one of the things we're trying to do in the second season is to give ourselves that freedom to have an episode or two that, that feels very different, mm-hmm. to start maybe at a very different place. Uh, and to explore a little bit. So from that perspective, the show can reflect, you know, Lisa and I like a lot of the same things. We like a lot of different things. And I think the show really feels like a synthesis of of all of the different things that we're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're surprising sometimes. It, it really is. It's, it's, it's really difficult to explain because it's very iterative, the way that we work and the way that our ideas bounce off of each other, you know, in terms of, and he'll surprise me constantly. Um, I'll be like, oh, he's never going to understand this about my take on this character. And then he'll one-up it and go to this place. That some of my favorite Maeve scenes are, are his. And, and he's, and it's, I think, a credit to you know, his versatility as a writer and, and also why I married him, which is he's an empathetic person who kind of you know, can... can can think about other people's perspectives that way. And I think also, you know, for me, I love a good tussle and a good fight scene, and, and I, I love writing our male characters. I've, I've written some, some... Yeah, you're far more brutal with the characters <laughs> than I am. Yeah, so it's not always where you'd expect, and also vice versa. You know, I also I love writing Dolores and Maeve, and he loves writing Man in Black. We, we take turns, and I think the one thing that is consistent is we'll push each other on the, can we do better here? Can we do better there? Is there another angle here? And that comes from having each other as fresh eyes. And, and I think that as we bounce things 
back and forth between um, ourselves and our amazing room, you know, the, the lens that we have into the characters in the world gets broader and broader. Uh, for us, I think that's why, you know, having a kind of plurality of perspectives in, in terms of approaching these characters in this world has been incredibly helpful. Yeah, and the room and the writers are, you know, Lisa and I came into this with, by the time we finished the pilot, more than a year's worth of thinking about the stories. And then, then you hire a bunch of really talented writers. And, and, and this season, you know, an incredible group that we're working with in f- forging new ideas. And they come to it and see things and opportunities with characters mm-hmm. that they hadn't seen. And the cool part of already having made a season is it all now is informed. Everyone you're working with has now already seen the show. So they get a sense for it. And they come into it armed with, we just heard a, you know, a pitch the other day out of the room for an aspect that we hadn't considered before, which is incredibly exciting. That's when you really feel the show start to take on a life of its own. Yeah. I'm not rushing you off the air. Obviously, it's a successful show, but do you have an end date in mind, a number of seasons you want to see the show running? Oh, we need a nap. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I think you need to be... We don't see it that rigidly. In terms of, oh, it's got to be this number of seasons. I, I think one of the things that the network's been incredibly supportive of, um, both HBO and Warner's, uh, have been incredibly supportive of the fact that we can't make this every year. We can't make this every every 12 months. That, that, that the, ambition of, the ambition of the scripts, the ambition of, the, of, of production, the way we want it to look and feel means that you've got to break the mold a little bit. Um, but, you know, we love these characters and these stories so much that I think uh, the whole enterprise is going to have to be pried from our hands at some, <laughs> at some point. <laughs> but I think you also, you know, you, you, definitely, you definitely want to tell a complete story and then walk away. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to season two. Thank you so much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. So that's what creators Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy had to say about Westworld. Stay tuned for more from Evan Rachel Wood, who plays Dolores. This week's episode is brought to you by the acclaimed Warner Brothers television comedy Trial and Error for NBC. Entertainment Weekly called the show a gift from the TV heavens, and the Los Angeles Times said it was solid and funny, impressively cast. Even Alexander Hamilton loves it. Hamilton creator Lin-Manuel Miranda recently tweeted that he had just finished the incredible first season and said, I know there's so much good TV right now, but damn, this is good. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. It's my pleasure to welcome Evan Rachel Wood. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Congratulations on Westworld. Thanks. So let's just start at the beginning. What made you sign on for the project? Everything. <laughs> um, it, well, it's funny how, how kind of little I, I knew about it when I did sign on. Um, I sat down and had a conversation with Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan, and they I knew about the original film, but once I really heard their take on the revamp and sort of the endless possibilities and them describing the park and them describing this character to me, um, it sounded fascinating, and I knew it would be amazing, and I knew J.J. was involved, and 
Um, I think HBO is brilliant. Um, and then we did the pilot, and I think we all really felt like this could be something really special. And then once we started, the script started coming in, once the series got picked up, and once we started finding things out script by script, then around episode three, four, I realized the magnitude of what was in my hands. <laughs> and um, and the game was just kind of constantly changing. But initially... It was it was it was Lisa Joy and, and Jonah Nolan's vision that really drew me in. Amazing. So you didn't know what was in store for Dolores at the beginning? I really didn't. The only thing they told me when I signed on was that she starts off uh, you know, in the park, in her loop. Uh she's a very sweet uh farm girl, but you know, she's got kind of a tough side to her. And they said, But then she'll change as as the show goes along and she, she ends up very different in the end. That's all I knew. Um and the rest we really just kind of built from the ground up as as the show progressed. So, Is that challenging for you to play as an actor, not knowing where the final destination is going to be? It was a weird experiment, <laughs> I think, for all of us. But because we were in such good hands, I was never... I was never scared. I, I cared about the show so much that on weekdays I would be worried that, oh, God, I'm going to get some new informa- piece of information and look back and wish I had done things differently. But that really didn't happen. <laughs> um, they always gave us enough information. They didn't tell us nothing, you know, it's, but, um, but they gave us enough that, that we were led where we needed to go. And then if we figured things out along the way, you would kind of get a confirmation here and there. Um, but, uh, but I think it actually helped be in the moment more um, because once we did get the scripts and once we started filming um, we were all so bonded and we had invested so much into the characters that you know when something would come out like am I allowed to say spoilers? You're allowed to say say spoiler alert? So spoiler alert blanket spoiler alert if you haven't watched the whole season stop listening now. (laughs) Like when it came out that I was the one that killed Arnold uh, I didn't know. I didn't see that coming. I I had no idea, and I had been working with Jeffrey for so long, and um, it it genuinely broke my heart. It was devastating. <laughs> and then and then immediately after you read the script, a couple of days later, you're doing the scene. Right. So you really get to live the kind of horror and trauma of those moments, and um, you know, having to look in Jeffrey's eyes and know How that could I was you? the one that killed him. It was really awful. Um, so. It was it was really interesting. It's a new it's a, certainly a new way of working, and you definitely have to have very capable actors and and very capable writers and showrunners to that have your back. <laughs> but have you now watched the whole season as a fan, going back watching it from beginning to end? I've watched bits and pieces, um, but uh, we're about to start filming again in uh, in little over a month so I'll probably go back and, and, re- and rewatch everything again just to kind of get in the mood but I am a fan of the show and I watched it when it came on the air as a fan as well and, and I loved reading everything that the fans had to say and all the different theories um, I was just so happy that people felt the same way about it that, that I did because I I mean we all did we fell in love with it and we, we all had our theories and we were just as rabid fans of the show as, as we saw everybody um, online being and, and you know all the guys on Reddit and you know we were kind of the pioneers in the theories on that set so um, I, it was it was thrilling to know that it, it was resonating with people in the same way 
So I've, I've read that you've sort of figured out some theories while you were filming it. What did you figure out along the way? <laughs> I, um, I, I figured out... I, I, I had a feeling that William, uh, Jimmy Simpson's character, was either, either Ford or the Man in Black. In, in, this, in the second episode, I was like, okay, something's going on here. Um, and then I had a deja vu when Jimmy picked up the can and, and handed it to me in that, that first scene that we had together. Because I had done the same thing with Ed in the pilot. And I could just tell that the energy on set was a little different. And they were being very, very specific about how we were doing it. And then when he handed it to me and I looked at his eyes, I saw a flash of Ed and then it hit me and I just went, oh God, that would be so horrible, which means that's what it is, <laughs> <laughs> which means this is exactly where this is going. Um, but it wasn't confirmed. So sometimes I would toss that idea out and it would come, but, um, but, but, you know, later on we kind of had it confirmed and then I did, I figured out, I didn't know Bernard was going to be a host. I did figure out he was going to be Arnold. Um, and then I figured out that I was Wyatt, uh, around episode seven or something. <laughs> um, so those, those were the only ones, but I was still pretty floored and shocked when I got episode 10. I, 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 when I read the final page, I just threw the script down and kind of walked away. <laughs> Couldn't handle it. <laughs> Why were you so shocked? What shocked you the most about it? Um, killing Ford was, I did not see coming, not, not in the way that they did it. Um, I didn't know it was going to be me. I didn't know that's how this show was going to end. I was just in absolute shock, and I couldn't believe that um, that it was me. <laughs> um, and I couldn't believe that I had to actually uh, hold a real gun to Anthony Hopkins' head and pull the trigger. That was one of the most nerve-wracking experiences of my life. You killed Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. That, my brother called me and he went, you know you know the moment I knew you made it? When you shot Anthony Hopkins in the back of the head. I think that's when I went, you know what? My sister, uh, she's done it. <laughs> How did you get through that scene? Um, I got through a lot of these scenes in the show through weirdly meditating um my character is either in analysis mode completely frozen going through a million different emotions in the span of a few seconds um or you know i'm in i'm in wyatt mode or i'm in um a, a kind of dream state where i'm very confused where i'm i'm living in three different dimensions at once there's so many complex things that this character goes through so and so much focus that has to go into it because every little detail matters and every little movement, every little flicker of an eyelash or, um, you know, curl of the corner of your mouth. Um, all these things were taken into consideration and talked about um, and and worked on. So every time I was doing one of these scenes, it was like doing a very subtle dance number um, with emotions and with my body and with my eyes and with my face. And so that was just kind of one of those scenes where... We still don't really know where Dolores is at the end of the season. Is she fully conscious? Is, is, is she not? Is she Wyatt? Is she a combination? Is she this new thing? Like, we don't know. Um, so that was just one of those scenes where I put on a game face and kind of meditated and, and also had to go to a really dark place. I think this one of the, one of the biggest challenges of the show for me was to be uh, angry. I'm just really... I, I think I... I allow myself to be angry, but I try not to hold on to it. So having anger to delve into, to bring to the character was was hard. But I think I also gave myself permission to be angry about a few things that I 
I hadn't been. Um, but I was kind of shocked how hard it was to go that dark and that sinister and that, that angry. Um, but uh, I took a deep breath and I pulled the trigger. That's how I did that scene. <laughs> and I prayed that nothing bad was going to happen. <laughs> well, at least nothing bad happened to you. Nope. And Anthony is still alive and well, so everything's fine. <laughs> so where, do you th- where is Dolores at the end of the season? Where do you think she is? What's your theory? From what my theory, and this is just a theory, um, from what I can tell, it seems that her and Maeve are, for the first time, making their own choices. But I still don't know if Dolores is fully making her own choices or if she has now embraced this new character that she was merged with and maybe now she's not Dolores, she's Wyatt. Is Wyatt under control or is Wyatt... Is he an ultimate villain because he's fully conscious and there are no rules and he's not being controlled? These are my questions. I want to know if she is a new thing or if she's him or if she's fully conscious. I think... God, I don't know. (laughs) Because I want to say she's fully conscious, but I feel like that would be too easy, so I don't know. (laughs) Can you ask Jonah and Lisa these questions? Will they answer you? Um... Not really, no. I, I tried to get some information the other night. Um, I, I ran into them, and no, they're really good about keeping a tight lip. And even when they do tell you information, it could always change, and it could always just be a piece. It could be a half-truth. So you just know, you just never know. I, I, I just, I'd rather be surprised. It's more fun that way anyway. <laughs> what about through the course of the first season? How much, you know, what was the experience like of working with them? Uh, I could literally go on for days about it. Um, they're the most brilliant people I've ever worked with and the most humble and just lovely people. And they really care about what they're doing. And they, they're exploring people and humanity and consciousness and philosophy. And, and all these things are, are merging together in, in the show in such a beautiful way. And if you know them, it, it makes perfect sense. Because um, I think, to me at least, it seems they really do care about people and about the future and about how we treat each other and about where we're headed. And also just asking deeper questions about ourselves and not taking everything for granted. And Because um, at the end of the day, and this is when it gets really meta, you realize we're all kind of following a sort of programming and we're, and you know, the reality that we all live in is not necessarily real. It's just a reality that we've all agreed upon. And in a way, this is a dream that we've just all agreed is real. And so when you really start dissecting things that way, then you realize that so many things on the show can also be a metaphor for even just the world that, that we live in and, and the things that are put in our faces every day and shoved on our throats. And, um, how that becomes our programming and what it's like and what the journey's like to kind of break that and to find who you really are. And um, I think that's all in there and all in their writing and so much of it um, can be a commentary. And a lot of it is wonderful entertainment too. I mean, they're really good at, at telling stories. And to me, this was always like an amazing fairy tale. And I think fairy tales are... Um, you know, always very entertaining and fantastical, but there's an incredible lessons in all of them and life lessons. And um, I feel like that's what they're trying to do with Westworld. It's 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 
one of the most elaborate fairy tales with so many um, hidden meanings and messages in there that have been very lovingly um, scattered out throughout the story. Um, so I'm really curious to see where they're going to take it and how everything is going to end because I think they already know how everything is going to end. I mean, I think they've mapped out the whole show in advance. Wow. So um, I just don't know how they do it. And and them being a couple and them working together so well and still being in love. And sometimes I'm just like, get off the set with your brilliance <laughs> and your perfect relationship. I can't stand it. <laughs> um, but uh, they're they're great. It already really feels like a family. And I think everybody feels that way. So. Uh, talk about the role of women on the show. I mean, I know you only had one scene with Tandy Newton, but you know the, the two of you one had line. One, it was not one, even a scene. Yeah, <laughs> but the two of you had pretty powerful performances. Um, I think we're both incredibly grateful, and um, we know the potential that's in these characters and in the story that we're telling, and. Um, I think, and I've, I've spoken to Tandy about this, I think we both felt like we found a, a strength in ourselves that we didn't know that we had after the show was done. Um, because you don't see writing like this, you don't see roles like this for women. And one of the things I really love about our characters is that they aren't even necessarily really women. They're not men or women. They're artificial beings. They can be whatever they want. Um, so they're actually kind of genderless. Um, so while... I feel like the characters are so revolutionary for, for women on film or TV or just, just in general. Um, I also love that, or at least I hope that gender's not even going to really be playing a role in the show. Like, eventually, we're just going to evolve past that. <laughs> um, but I love that it's an even playing field between the men and the women. Um, and that we're actually getting the opportunities to be the ones figuring it out and saving the day and... Um, being the heroes, but also being the villains. I, I mean, I'm all about an even playing field and telling women's stories, not just from you know the the perfect ones, but what the the complex ones too, and 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 the villainous ones. And and so I think we're getting both sides of the coin um, on the show, and we're getting to see many many different colors of um, of. Uh, Dolores and Maeve, and then we're going to continue to explore. Um, but uh, it's it's going to be hard to top her. It's going to be hard to top Dolores. I think everything she's given me and everything that I've seen her give um, people and, and women especially, um, it's just kind of once in a blue moon that, that one of these comes around. So I think we're we're prepared to do this for as long as they want us to, honestly. How does Dolores compare to other characters you've played? Um, well, Dolores is really f four different characters. Um, I have a real love-hate relationship with her because on, on the one hand, she's, uh, she's this endearing, sweet, lovely farm girl who cares so much about people and... And the world and, you know, her programming is I see the beauty in the world and I will always see the bright side. And she's very forgiving. And um, and then there's this other side to her, which is a computer. It's, it's a highly advanced, intelligent being that lives in multiple dimensions, <laughs> past, present and future. Um, 
So whenever we're doing those analysis scenes, there's also this other side to her and this other core that I hope we get to see more in the second season. I don't know yet. Um, uh, Because she has been held back so much from her potential and she's very much been held captive and tortured and traumatized. And um, underneath all of that is this supreme being that's just waiting to be let loose um, that we catch glimpses of in in those analysis scenes. And then there's Wyatt, which to me is... uh, I'm not even really sure what he is yet. Um, But, you know, we kind of worked in weaving him in and out of the season. And if you go back and watch, you can catch little glimpses of him kind of coming out in this Jekyll and Hyde way with Alores. And then... It's there's kind of uh, a mixture of all of them. It's it's just she's unlike any character I've ever played for a number of reasons, but certainly the most complex. And honestly, it's funny that it, it is a sci-fi show, and you know you could think, oh, you know, it, it's it's a sci-fi show. It's not really about acting. It's not really about anything. But that's just not the case on on Westworld, and. It's not the case with this character. Um, I think she could just be written off as, oh, you're just playing a robot in this kind of action thing. But no, if you watch the show, this is one of the most emotionally demanding roles I've ever uh, I've, I've ever had to play as well. Um, her whole journey is confronting trauma and repressed memories and confronting herself and walking through that and rising up and becoming something new. And... Um, so getting the opportunity to be on a 10-episode show with an arc like Dolores had and having the time to explore that and to go on that journey with her and to find all these little moments and layers and slowly just peeling her back until we ended on that on that final episode where you know she's beaten and she's on the ground and then she rises up and takes back control and fights back and it's just playing her and getting to go through that arc was an absolute gift. Um, I just, I hugged Lisa Joy and wept when the show was done because it was just such a profound experience going on that ride with her. Um, and I just haven't had that with any other, with any other role. And I, and I haven't been called upon to do all the things that I've been called upon to do for, for her and for all the different versions of her. Um, so I don't think I'll ever do anything else like it. You said it was emotionally demanding. I would imagine it was pretty physically demanding as well. You mentioned that, you were, you know, of course, you were beaten and all of that. But also just from a production standpoint, the way the camera would sort of zoom in on your face and every flicker of your face was, you know, a plot point, basically. How did you get it's through true. that? It's <laughs> true. Um, it's true. I mean, yes, the, 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 the physically demanding side and the, and the, the terrain that we were in, um, I think a lot of people think... Um, that we used a lot of green screen, but but we didn't. We we would go to Moab, Utah, and we're helicoptered into these insane locations and these incredible red rocks. It looks like we're on Mars, um, and we're really out in the desert. We're really on horseback. We're really doing all these things. Um, but what you were saying, even harder than that, when we're doing the the analysis scenes, anytime I had one of those kind of long scenes with with Jeffrey when when he's questioning me, we would be there for at least six hours doing those scenes nonstop um, and fine-tuning every little detail. 
And we would do different variations on those scenes. And we would say, okay, we're going to do one where you kind of play it like this. And now we're going to do one where you do it like this. And sometimes they were yelling commands off camera and I had to remind them that I'm not a robot like, <laughs> but, um, because you know it would be okay now I want you to be Dolores and then when you say this line can you kind of go halfway in and out of Dolores and analysis can you can wow. you meet me halfway or can you go all the way into analysis on this line and then start to kind of feel why it coming up on this line and like so what you can't see in those scenes is all these kind of things that we've woven into it um so that all those subtle moments and all those little shifts resonate with the audience, even if you don't necessarily know why we do. <laughs> um, and it's because every every moment had a lot of um, love and care put into it, and it was, it was thought out um, at length. So It's rare to see a show, I mean, get so analyzed. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say it's rare, but this show was very much analyzed. Mm-hmm. There were like, you know, I joked there was like seven or six, you know, seven or eight layers deep on Reddit. What was that like for you? Did you engage with it? Were you talking to fans? Um, I, I I didn't. I did uh, read some of it because I, I wanted to see uh, what some of their theories were. And it was fun to see them go kind of down the same roads that we had. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, they think it's that. I thought that. And, okay, good. Everyone's thinking what they're supposed to be thinking. And um, it was fun to see people figure it out. But it was also fun to see people not figure out certain things and know it was coming and and. And you could tell, oh, they're so focused on this, they don't even see that we've got this coming up the rear. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, I'm like, Joan and Lisa, you really should just like steal their ideas. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the show is writing itself on the internet. Um, but uh, but it was exciting because it, it meant everyone was just as invested as as, as we were. So. Are there things that people still haven't figured out yet? Easter eggs that were in the first season that still haven't been revealed yet? Oh, I have no... I'm sure. <laughs> probably. I mean, as I'm sure there will continue to be things that you pick up on probably until the show ends. If, if I know Jonah and Lisa, the, the entire series will be over and you'll probably go back and watch the pilot and still be able to connect the dots about something. I think they're so detailed and so... Um, Prepared <laughs> that um, it, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if if it's if it's all going to connect in some way. So, is there one big question that you still have? Well, I mean, I kind of want to know if Ford is really dead or not. I think a lot of people have that question because it's it's one of those shows where you never really know if people are dead or if there's going to be a copy or if they're going to come back or. If it was a dream, you just don't know. So I'm very curious to see if Mr. Hopkins will be making any more appearances on our show or not. Interesting. I hope so. I, I didn't have nearly enough scenes with him. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve more. I would love some. There were also some hints at the end of the first season that, that season two would involve something about Samurai World. Is that right. something that you want to see or something that you think is going to happen? Uh, I think that would be pretty cool. Um, I, uh, I, I, I wouldn't put anything past them. I, I really wouldn't. I am a black belt in Taekwondo, so that would come in handy in case they needed me to, to do any martial arts. Um, but other than that, who knows? Maybe they'll, we'll join forces and just make a big army. I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> Is that something you've told Jonah and Lisa? That I'm a black belt? Yes. Actually, when I, when I met with them for the first time, I, 
I told them that, and Lisa just went, ooh, that could come in handy, and that's all I heard. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> Excellent. What shows do you watch? What do you watch yourself? Uh, what do I watch? I just got done uh, binge-watching Big Little Lies, um, and uh, but I'm, I still watch Bob Ross and Friends you know I'm like, <laughs> I don't watch any new shows it's horrible um, and I also just barely I don't it's what's crazy is that I'm on HBO and I don't have cable I don't. I'm shaking my head at you sorry <laughs> no, I don't have cable I have HBO Go um, but uh, so I'm not I watch like documentaries and I'm like a science geek and I watch all the science shows and TED Talks and just, you know, my nerd is showing. <laughs> but you, huh? No, I was going to say, but you've got a lot of things going on on your plate, so how do you balance... I do. <laughs> how do you balance acting with everything else that you do? I have no idea. Um, but I I don't know. You kind of, you jump from, you know, lily pad to lily pad. So when the show ended, I... I I was focusing on music and um, finished an album with my band, and we toured a lot. And um, I've also been um, uh, developing films. I, I wrote a screenplay um, with my best friend, and we're supposed to film that after the second season of Westworld ends. So it just kind of you just kind of have to plan accordingly. You have to be like, okay, I'm going to do Westworld here, and then when that's done, I'll do music for a while, and then I'll direct, and then I'm going to do this. And um, but they all do overlap, and it's. Uh, there aren't enough hours in the day sometimes. Oh, yeah, and then you have, like, a four-year-old on top of it running around. And, but I'm good when I'm busy. I'm a, I'm a multitasker, so. <laughs> um, so give us one little tease about season two of, of Westworld. Is there anything you can reveal? Anything you know? I honestly don't know anything. They've been so good at keeping it under wraps. I really... I really don't know. I don't even know if Tandy and I will even have a scene together in season two. I don't know. I tried to get information the other night. It was Lisa Joy's birthday and nada. I'm going to have to get the writers drunk or something. So <laughs> I think that's an excellent plan. I'm on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, best of luck with the second season. It's Thank been a pleasure so talking to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. See you next time. This week's episode is brought to you by the acclaimed hit comedy The Big Bang Theory from Warner Brothers Television for CBS. Entertainment Weekly gives Big Bang an A+, TV Guide Magazine calls it classy and hilarious, Glamour says, how has a show not won an Emmy in 10 seasons is beyond me, and USA Today asks, do the people who say there aren't any funny sitcoms anymore watch Big Bang? For your Emmy consideration in all categories. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy Judy. (laughs) 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.